Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com give for more information. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thanks for listening and God bless. Hey, everybody. Gosh, it's good to be together today. I'm so excited for what God has for each and every one of us. Growing up in a small town, uh, my family, we attended Catholic church every week, and so I grew up Catholic. Part of that experience was going through what's called First Communion. And as I was at CCD one night, that was just called, that was like the, the term for the church on Wednesdays for elementary Uh, age or into middle school, high school, but I was in second grade, and I remember part of the process of First Communion was doing confession for the first time, and not knowing really what to expect other than knowing that you go into this like really small room and you talk to the priest, who in a small town, uh, we knew him really well, and so um, felt really comfortable with him, but just was unsure about some of the awkwardness of like, confessing your sin out loud and and the whole thing of like telling a priest that. And I remember sitting in the pew and I was kneeling down and I knew enough, I was told, you need to share, come up with a sin that you've had in your life, the whole point of confession, right? (laughs) And then you need to go into the confessional and then express that, share that sin with the priest. So sitting there, I was racking my mind and I was thinking and thinking about all these things and, and then I was like, okay, got it. I go into the confessional and I look at the priest and, I, and he says, do you have any sins to confess today? And I said, I stole something from my brother. And he's like, okay. And then we walked through the rest of the process and we prayed together and I came out of the confessional. I was like, Phew. like first one, done. And, and honestly, I was like, I hope I never have to do that again. And that doesn't sound like so bad, right? But the problem is, I never stole anything from my brother. <laughs> so I actually sinned, so I had a sin to share. <laughs> because I'm not telling you that I didn't have sin in my life, but for whatever reason, I couldn't come up with something in the moment. And so I thought instead of telling the priest, like I can't come up with anything, I know, let's tell a lie. And let's tell the priest a lie about a sin that I did not commit. (laughs) But sounds pretty predictable because I have an older brother and it sounds like something a younger sister would do that she would steal something from her older brother. And in a small town, again, you know each other. And so I was like, that'll do. (laughs) And here's what I think about repentance and confessing our sin. I don't know about you. Maybe you have a different experience growing up. So you have a little bit more experience confessing your sin to God. And I just don't think that my experience for the first time in confessing sin and lying about the very sin I was confessing is what God had in mind when he talks to us about repentance. So that's what we're gonna talk about today, but before we do, I wanna talk about our series that we're in. We're in part three of our series called Holy. 
And what does it mean to be holy? Really what it means to be holy is that we are set apart. It's that we're different. It means that we're gonna trust God over trusting ourselves in our everyday life. It means that as we continue to walk in our relationship with Jesus, that he would make us more like him. But the only way he can do that is if we follow his commands and we're obedient to his voice, the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we are made holy. And so I wanna give a quick recap where we've been in this series. The first week we talked about Moses and what it looked like for him to become holy, it means that facing our fears and trusting God anyway. Moses was a, a man who was like, hey, would you please send someone else? Hey, I'm not qualified. Hey, I can't do that. Do you understand that I, I can't speak the way you're asking me to go speak to all these people? And God was like, I know, and I'm calling you to do it anyway. And in the end, Moses chose to trust God. And in that journey, Moses became more holy because he didn't let his fears stop him. Instead, he allowed his fears, he expressed them, and he moved into action anyway. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Joseph. And Joseph has a story where all these circumstances happened to him. And he didn't choose a lot of them, if any. And in his story, we learn that becoming holy means trusting God through our circumstances. No matter what, no matter what our circumstances are, that we would trust God. And through that journey, Joseph became holy. And we learned that you and I, even if our circumstances aren't what we would want, that we can become holy as we wait for God's purposes to be revealed in our life. And today, we're gonna talk about becoming holy through repentance. Becoming holy through repentance, through confessing our sin. And we're gonna hear about a man named David. We're gonna walk through his story. But before we do that, let's talk about what does repentance mean? Repentance simply means sincere regret or remorse. From a spiritual foundation and biblical foundation, repentance happens, friends, at the moment that you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Repentance is a, a moment when we turn our life to Jesus Christ. At Prairie Heights, we like to call it yes to Christ. Really, it means a salvation moment. And the way to heaven, friends, is placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing he was who he said he was, confessing our sin and turning from our sin, committing our life to him. And so repentance happens in that moment because we're turning toward God and away from our former old life. But then repentance happens throughout our journey. Another way to say it is each person who turns to God in genuine repentance and faith will be saved. If your heart is genuine to follow Jesus, to place your whole life in his hands, that's a, that's a repentance, a genuine repentance and allowing him to change you from the inside out. And then the walk of becoming holy just like Jesus Christ is holy, is filled with more moments, many more moments of repentance when the Holy Spirit convicts us or when other followers of Christ in our life convict us of our sin. See, repentance is like this call to like absolute surrender to the purposes of God. And when we find ourselves in spaces where we might not be aligned with God, repentance like aligns us back with God. 
Repentance brings us back into alignment. And so I don't know what you came in with today. I don't know where you're at specifically in your relationship with God. But when it comes to like sin and and confessing and repentance, one thing maybe you've experienced in your relationships or maybe you've been one to do this is you've used your words to say, I am sorry, but maybe your actions didn't change. Or maybe you've been on the other side of that and someone else said to you, I'm sorry for fill in the blank, but their actions didn't change. That's not true repentance. It's the same as true of like, if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, our life after that should not look the same as our life before Jesus Christ. And so authentic repentance means a genuine like remorse, like very sincere. You know, maybe today as as you think about what this looks like in your life, You've had times where you've ignored people who are followers of Christ who have come into your life and said like, hey, uh, after building trust, they like call you out on your sin. And maybe you've been in that position and maybe you've ignored that. Maybe you have been ignoring that right now. Someone's been trying to call you up so you can become more like Jesus Christ, but you've been kind of keeping it at a hand's distance and you haven't wanted anyone to really get that close to you because if they really knew all the things that you did or thought or said, maybe you feel like they wouldn't love you anymore or that God wouldn't love you anymore. So keeping your distance from people, especially followers of Christ, keeps you safe, so you think. Yet it keeps you from aligning in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe today you come and you think that your sin disqualifies you from the love of God like forever. And you would tell me, hey Beth, you don't don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the sin that I've committed. And if I was to tell you what it felt like to show up at church, this church or any other church, I would tell you that I thought I was gonna go up in flames. And I will tell you that is not truth. (laughs) Especially if you're sitting here, you didn't, right? you're okay. And guess what? Like God already knows. God already knows. And he loves you. And what he would want for you is he would want you to align in his purposes for your life. He would want you to become more holy like he is holy. Maybe today you're coming and and the truth of your story and your journey right now today and the reality of your life is that you keep on sinning, whatever your sin is right now. You keep on sinning because it feels good because it's satisfying, because in the short term, it takes away the pain or the hurt, or it takes away the loneliness, it takes away the isolation, and it makes you feel good for a moment. It makes you feel something. And so the truth is you keep on sinning because it's easier and it feels better than walking in obedience in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that might be you today. And as we head into the holiday, as we are already like right smack in the middle, almost to the holiday season with lots of gatherings, I would assume, or a few gatherings here and there, whether it's at your workplace or in your home or with extended family, there's this temptation of excess, right? There's a temptation in the Christmas season of excess, like more presents and more stuff, spend more money. 
If you spend this much money, then you, if you spend $100 on a gift card, you get $25 free. Everybody wants us to spend more money. There's this feeling of excess of like, headed into Christmas season, I'm getting ready to eat a lot of food. Do you wanna know why fitness centers rank up in their membership in January, February, and March? Because we eat excess over Christmas and Christmas break. There's this feeling of excess. And I don't know where that's at in your life, but the temptation to have more, the temptation to consume can lead us down a path of sin that would keep us away from becoming holy in our walk with Jesus Christ. See, King David knew a lot about this. King David is in the Old Testament. He has a legacy of being known as a man after God's own heart. And friends, it wasn't his behavior that got him that legacy. It wasn't because he did everything exactly right. It's how he became holy and more like Jesus when he chose to repent of his sins. I wanna give you a little bit of Old Testament context as we look at a timeline. Like where is David in the whole story of God? If we look all the way back at the beginning, we've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's where sin entered the world. After Adam and Eve, then we've got Abraham. And after Abraham, we have Jacob. And one of Jacob's son was Joseph. We talked about Joseph last week. And then after, many, many years after Joseph, then it was Moses. And throughout the Old Testament, we have this pattern of like leaders and kings coming in and and certain people following God. And we have all these prophets that were trying to help the nations follow God. Yet there was this underlying message that God had a rescue plan. And because in our human nature, it's like we feel like we have to know what that is. We see these patterns over and over again of people putting people in the spot of God, saying like, this must be the one that we should follow. And some people, as King David came onto the scene, there was a little bit of like, he must, what if he's the, he's the king? So let me tell you a little bit about King David. Uh, he was a young shepherd boy. He was the one who beat Goliath. And so very young, God used him. Uh, out of humility, he used him and, and he killed Goliath. And then during this time, the current king became very envious and jealous of David. And so the current king had it out for David. That turned into a very long battle for the throne. Eventually, David becomes king. David has all these years of stability as king. And he has a, I'll call him a friend. He's got a friend named Nathan who is a prophet. And Nathan was sent by God as a prophet to speak of godly things and to help the leaders, King David, and others follow God. And so there were so many years where David had years of stability as king as he listened to Nathan the prophet. And then David had years of sorrow. And we're gonna talk about his years of sorrow this morning. See, David follows his desires and he sins against God. And here's what happened. David paid for the consequences of his sin the rest of his reign as king. Yet he still holds the legacy of a man after God's own heart. And I remember, and I think I still wrestle with this. So just giving you permission, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, it's okay to wrestle with things and to question things. 
And there are times where I've been like, when I learn about the details of King David's story, I'm like, how do people call him a man after God's own heart? And I think today gives me a little bit more clarity and maybe it will too. And, and here's the answer to that is because he allowed God to make him more holy. It's not because of anything he did. It's because he allowed God to make him more holy right in the midst of his story. And I think that's the invitation today. That's the invitation this Christmas season is would you allow God to make you more holy right here in the midst of your story? So let's get into King David's 2 Samuel 11, one through four, here's what it said. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, so it says usually kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. So right there it says that usually kings go off to war, but David decided to stay in Jerusalem. Verse two says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. So the very first mistake that David makes is he sends his men and everybody else out to the battlefield and he stays at home to rest. When usually and typically all the kings would go out into the battlefield, David decided to stay home. That was his first mistake. And so I don't know what that sounds like or looks like for your rhythms and your journey over this Christmas season, but where are the places that you're gonna put yourself this Christmas that would either lead towards more temptation or would lead you towards less temptation. The second mistake that David did is that he acted on his temptation. So we read in verses two and three, it says, from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. At that point, David could have turned around and gone back inside, right? But he didn't. He said, can someone go get her for me? Bring her to my palace and then he slept with her. So David acted on his temptation. So what happens for you when you're faced with temptation? Do you shut it off right away? Do you close your eyes and turn the channel? Watch a different show? Do you make sure to have safeguards on your internet and your phone devices and your iPads so that your temptation to go to sites that you shouldn't be on would, would be blocked? What happens when there's temptation to eat more? When there is like a whole thing of cookies? My family is celebrating Christmas this afternoon. And the number one thing my husband has been talking about is your mom made a bunch of cookies. <laughs> I'm like, I know. And she hides them for weeks because they would be eaten. They would be eaten if she didn't hide them. Like what happens when you're faced with temptation? What happens to you? Do you turn away from that? Or do you like dive in and get closer to it? David in this moment chose to dive in. He invited temptation into his home. 
He said, come here, come into my home. What temptation and sin are you inviting into your life? Here's what happened. Later Bathsheba finds out she's pregnant and she tells David. So David then sends for her husband, Uriah, who is fighting in the battlefield. And Uriah comes back to the palace to meet with David. And when Uriah comes back to the palace to meet with David, David profusely apologizes that he got Uriah's wife Bathsheba pregnant and he asks for his forgiveness. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. But David could have. He could have immediately, he could have said, oh, I sinned. And now she's pregnant. I gotta, I gotta make this right. So I'm gonna get her husband out of the battlefield who's fighting on my behalf as king. I'm gonna bring him back and I'm gonna profusely apologize. And I'm gonna say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? He could have done that, he didn't. Here's what he did instead. David does invite Uriah back home, but his intention is to cover up his own sin. His intention is to cover up what he's done by having Uriah sleep with his wife. But here's what Uriah does. Uriah, because he cares about the men that he's serving with and the men are sleeping outside the city gates, Uriah's like, I can't have good food and good wine and go home and sleep with my wife when I know my men are out in the battlefield. And so he sleeps outside the city gate and he doesn't go home to be with his wife. David's like, shoot, that didn't work. Let me try again. He brings Uriah over to his home and he, tries, and he gets him drunk hoping that when he gets him drunk that Uriah will go home and sleep with his wife. Why does David want Uriah to sleep with his wife? So then it appears that Bathsheba gets pregnant by her husband, not by King David. He's covering up his sin and it doesn't work. So then David goes to the length of sending, when he sends Uriah back to the battlefield, along with one of the people that goes back with him, David writes on a piece of paper and he says, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battlefield, the front lines, and I wanna make sure that he dies in battle. As king, he can make that order, and he makes that order. And sure enough, Uriah dies in the battlefield. Message comes back to the palace that Uriah has died in the battlefield, and King David feels like, there you go, there's the story. There's the story I can use, is that Uriah was killed in the battlefield. David covered up his sin by murdering the woman's husband, but covering that up by calling it killed in battle. How do you cover up your sin? What are the ways that you've been tricked by Satan to cover up your sin? 2 Samuel eleven twenty six 26 through 27, it says this, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became, she became his wife and bore him a son. But listen to this next line. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We so often forget, friends, that when we sin, it is against God. And that sin, it hurts God. It hurts our relationship with God. 
And we're so tempted to believe that our sin doesn't impact anybody else. We're so tempted to believe like it's my life, I can do what I want, I can say what I want. But we forget that as followers of Jesus, it's not just our life. Like our mission is to become holy like Jesus is holy. And the ripple effect of sin in our life is vast and it ruins relationships. It ruins relationships. And so as we consider the spot that David is in, where he's gone to so many lengths to cover up his sin, and David knew that he sinned, he knew that. He knew what he was doing all along. And one day the prophet Nathan comes to David And here's what the prophet Nathan says. It's in 2 Samuel 12, seven through 10. And it says, then Nathan said to David, and I imagine like this, like brotherhood, like they're close buddies. And Nathan starts by saying to David, you are the man. Now I think like men do it a little different. I think when men like greet each other like that, it's like they walk up to each other and they do the like, the like half hug with the pat on the back and they're like, you the man. Is that right? Is that how how you do it? Guys, you can teach me in the lobby if that's the way you do it. Like, you the man. It's like saying, hey, Nathan's like, hey, David, buddy, I'm with you and I'm for you. We gotta have a conversation. And Nathan then goes on to say, I've got a message for you. I am the vessel from God sent to give you a message. Here's the message from God. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Nathan says to David, I, on behalf of God, God speaking to David, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. The Lord is saying, I gave you everything, David. I gave you everything and it wasn't enough. And if you had asked, I would have given you even more, but you didn't. And the Lord says through Nathan to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So now David's in one of those fork in the road moments. This is called conviction. The prophet, his friend Nathan has said, hey bud, this is not okay. The Lord is speaking to you, this is not okay. What you did was not okay. You have sinned against the Lord. And as I said, you know, David knew his sin. He knew he was covering up his sin. And he likely felt, when he went down this road, he likely felt separate from God in that moment. And he likely felt distant from those he loved. Have you ever been there? Where you felt separated from God? where you're like, God, where are you? Where you felt distant from the people you loved, even if in proximity they're in the same room? Have you ever been there? 
And here Nathan calls him out. What does David do with this conviction from Nathan? Does he defend himself? Does he blame someone else? See, David knew all along what he had done was wrong. But friends, it took him a really long time to admit it. Don't let this be you. Don't let that be your story. Don't dig your heels so far in the ground that when convicted by sin or by someone, a Christ follower, that you won't admit it. Don't wait because sin has consequences. In 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 14, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David received that conviction. And he said, you're, you're right, Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Are you willing to do this in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I've sinned against you? Are you willing to tell a close friend or family members, I've sinned against you, will you forgive me? I don't wanna hurt you anymore. I don't wanna keep doing this to you anymore. I don't wanna keep lying. Me and God would not have a great relationship if every time I went to him, I confessed lies. <laughs> Like I lied to him about my confession, right? That's where we started in the second grade. God and I wouldn't be super tight if I kept doing that. At some point I had to turn and receive the gift of Jesus Christ into my life and begin to follow him and obey his commands. When you're met with this fork in the roll moment where you can choose to become more holy, are you gonna step in to become more holy and let God change you? It's not behavior management. Friends, it is literally the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and trusting God enough to know that he can change you in ways that you cannot change yourself. And when we are faced with conviction of our sin, we can walk into complete freedom when we admit it. There's so much freedom when we admit it. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Because here's the truth, friends, there's sin, there are consequences to sin. And that was true in the Old Testament and it's true today. Now what's different is that today, because of Jesus Christ, we have access to God differently than they did in the Old Testament. Today, God sees us as positionally holy because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And our repentance is about becoming progressively more holy. That means when we are walking with Jesus Christ and if we sin, that we would confess that sin and turn from that sin. That is how we are made holy. Becoming holy means to repent and turn from our sin. And repentance, remember, repentance means to sincerely feel remorse. It's not like, oh, hey, I'm sorry you felt that way. That is not an apology. That is not repentance. I'm sorry you is not anything. I'm sorry I. I'm sorry I said this. I'm sorry I did this. Here's my plan to not do it again. Here's my plan to not say it again. How do we become holy in repentance? Number one, we return to God. We return to God, we, we decide 
that we wanna have God be a part of our life. So maybe today for you, a return to God is like a first time <laughs> saying, hey, God has never been part of my life and I want him to be part of my life. Maybe for others, you've been, you've been feeling separate and you've been walking away and it's felt like this huge tension. You are not walking in alignment with Jesus Christ. You're not walking in alignment in your relationship with God. You're doing this. And today, God's calling you to return back into alignment and to be made holy. Number two, how do we become holy in repentance? We confess our sin. We confess our sin. And again, whether you have never gone to church before, you've never heard about Jesus Christ or God, you can confess your sin right now to God. You can say, hey, I'm sorry that I've been walking away from you. I'm sorry I didn't know. You know, for me, for a long time, I didn't know that God wanted a personal relationship with me. And when it was presented to me that he did, I was so excited to say yes, and I didn't know what that meant. And that might be you today and you have to confess the sin in your life. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many, many years and you've gotta confess the sin that's been holding you back from becoming holy and more like Jesus Christ. And number three, choose community. What we learn from David's story is that potentially without Nathan, David might've kept going in his path of sin. He may never repented from his affair and, his, and the murder that he committed. A trusted friend came alongside and said, hey, what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong. Fork in the road moment. And David said, you're right. I've sinned against the Lord. The power of community and trusted friends is, is so phenomenal. I wanna share a story about a prairie hider. Her name is Asia. And uh, Asia, uh, she had two younger kids and her story includes she lost custody of those two kids. After she lost custody of those two kids, she began doing drugs and got into a life of addiction. 12 years later, she found out that she was pregnant again. And as I was talking to her on the phone this last week and she was retelling her story to me, she shared it like this. She said, I was sitting in my car and I remember thinking, oh God, I don't wanna lose this child too, but I know I can't do it by myself. I can't do it alone. God, I need your help. And she said, right there in that car, I just cried out to God and I said, God, I need you. And then she said, I picked up the phone and I called a friend and this friend had been coming to church and, and Asia said, I gotta get back to church. Can I come with you? And these two came to Prairie Heights. And while Asia was pregnant with her daughter, Asia made the commitment to place her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then she got baptized because she wanted a new life. She wanted to turn from her old ways she wanted to turn from the sin in her life and she wanted a new life so she could raise her daughter. And friends, today, Asia is raising her seven-month-old daughter, Evie. So good. So 
surrounded by a church family who loves her and who has made a place for her. She said, I have never felt so welcome and like I mattered. And when many people at Prairie Heights and my church family have told me that they're gonna be there for me, I believe them. She's part of a women's group who have showed up for her and she's showed up for the other women in her girl group. And they've been doing life and community to get together. And if you were talking to Asia, if she was up here and sharing more of her story, she would tell you that doesn't mean that absolutely everything in her life is going just right. <laughs> but it means that God is transforming her and she's becoming more holy through allowing Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to change her from the inside out and to trust him with her life instead of trusting herself. What I love about digging into a story like David is you and I can be tricked into believing, well, that was David's story. That could never happen to me. And Asia is living proof that we can be transformed by Jesus Christ. I am living proof that a life can be transformed by Jesus Christ. And if you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus yet, friends, I wanna really encourage you to think about that and think about what might be stopping you from going all in with Jesus Christ because he desires to show you his love so much that you would become holy and find freedom and find freedom in your walk. See, here's the thing, when bad things happen, like when circumstances are outside our control, we are tempted to believe that a holy God cannot exist. When we make choices on our own, when we're the ones who put ourselves in circumstances that are in our control, we tend to believe we can never be holy or live in connection with a holy God again. Here's the truth, Old Testament life. In the Old Testament, that life and relationship with God required daily death. It required daily sacrifices to keep our connection to a holy God. But all along the way, God had a rescue plan. And the very person that we celebrate at Christmas, friends, is Jesus Christ. And he came to become the bridge in our relationship with God, our heavenly Father. But you and I are still faced with that conviction moment, that holy moment, just like David, where we either admit our wrongs and confess our sin and begin the process of returning to a holy God, or we stay separated. We stay exactly where Satan wants us and we stay separated from God. And we do not completely receive his love and trust in our life. Our life cannot change and become whole without Jesus Christ in it. And if the message of hope rings true for you today, I wanna encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus and simply say, I'm turning from my old life. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was and I want a new life in Jesus Christ. I commit to following him. And as we get ready then, that's all Old Testament and as we get ready with Jesus Christ, that's New Testament, so to speak, Mary and Joseph, Nobody believed that the king and the rescue plan would come as a baby. And that's how we get to celebrate this coming weekend together as a church family. So I wanna encourage you as we think about celebrating on Saturday night, four and six, and Sunday at nine and 11 a.m., I want you to think about your story 
and the power of Jesus Christ and the hope that you have because of him. And this week, I want you to have eyes wide open to the people in your life who are separated from God. And I want you to invite them. And I don't want you to invite them because we got fancy lights and really great coffee. We do. And we got great music. And we got an amazing service for both kids and adults planned. The reason we do all of that is because we believe so much in the hope that Jesus Christ can bring to every human heart. And we want as many people as possible to hear the hope of Jesus Christ this Christmas. You can be part of that. Bringing hope to more people, a hope that we can only get in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. God, I pray right now that you would bring to mind people in each of these wonderful people's lives that need to know Jesus. Would you bring them to mind right now? God, I pray that you would meet each human heart in their temptation and in their sin. Would you give them freedom as they choose to confess that to you? Would you help them come close to you in relationship? God, would you help break the chains? Would you help break the family cycles? Would you help us to have more hope in you this Christmas? And ultimately, would you make us more holy? Because only you can do that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Welcome to the Prairie Heights podcast. Thanks for listening today. I hope it motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family here at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message.